Welcome to the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. So you had a fun text this week. Yeah, sex workers. Yeah. Um, if, if, we, if I haven't gotten in major trouble yet between the servant and this podcast, I mean, I don't, maybe this is the chance. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it occurred to me in the midst of my sermon on Sunday morning, the, At the, the, 930 the service. difference in demographics. Yeah, yeah, the 930, 930 service versus, service yeah. <laughs> and our Saturday night and our 1115 service, especially over the summer when our kids don't leave for Sunday school. And the text is about a sex worker, about a prostitute. Like, now, it occurred to me, like, the second time I said prostitute or sex worker, uh uh-oh, this could be problematic. Um, So I started referring to as her profession (laughs) um, or the things that she does for a living, that sort of thing, because, yeah. 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 There's no way. Um, but, I mean, I think, I think the reality of God using someone of that uh, profession, um, the, the oldest profession in the book, um, I, th- I think there's, <laughs> there's got to be a message to that. There's got to be a lesson there that we clearly still miss, um, which is, again, one of those disturbing things. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why are we still... Why are we still so hung up on, on, on sex? Um, and I know, blah, 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 blah. Um. Well, I mean, I think one of the things, too, um, as I, you, know, you, were, you were commenting in, in your sermon about how, obviously, the only way she can do what she does is there needs to be, she needs customers. Um, yep. And extrapolating that even out a little bit further, um, recognizing the societal conditions that put a woman in that position to begin with. Yep, and they still exist today. Oh, absolutely. It's just we make it illegal now. Right. Um, and, and to be fair, there are other, there are more opportunities for women in our current social context. Right to make a living. Yeah, there were even but, less then. But options were very limited back then. Yep. Um, women didn't have a whole life. They were not married. Um, there weren't a lot of options. I mean, you, you see a few places. You have um, someone like uh, um, Lydia, who was actually kind of an entrepreneur in the New Testament um, of... She was a, a dyer of cloth, so she made lots of purple um, cloth, which was a very rare thing, very expensive. Um, that was the color that the uh, wealthy Roman elite wore. Uh, so that was, you know, emperors wore, wore, wore purple. Yep. And so she's, and, and part of what, why that was is just because the, the ingredients to make purple dye were very expensive. So you, you have this woman who is, and we'll talk about her later on in um, our uh, women's series, but point being, she was able to kind of break into something that was typically dominated by men um, and was not only the uh, this entrepreneur, but she was the head of her household, and it would seem she was also the head of the church in uh, uh, Philippi. But we'll, we'll, like I said, we'll talk more about Lydia later. The point being, though, is that she stands out as a an anomaly, yeah, and not as some as the norm of of things women were able to do. Yep. So a lot of times when you find women who are not married, most of the time what you find them doing is rather illicit. Uh, <laughs> let's just put it that way. Well, and it, you know, what's, what's kind of interesting in this piece is that um, you have people in power that knew 
right? So it's not like they didn't know the profession. They didn't know. How did they know? Was it just rumor? Or did they maybe, were they maybe customers as well? Right. Um, yeah. the, the, the probably, um, we're, we're, I'm going to go with most likely were customers. Uh, <laughs> but the... Just looking at the societal conditions in which, um, you know, she's operating out of where, okay, she doesn't have a lot of other options of what to do. And, you know, it, it's kind of frowned upon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what sort of society do we live in in which this becomes sort of a a viable means of, of living. And this is, you know, she's, she's been pushed to the margins. She's living in the wall of the city. Um, you know, this is, she, she lives in a particular district <laughs> um, and things like that, that, you know, it's not that it was a, a fully accepted way of life. It was clearly, even then, um, looked down upon and, and fringe. Um, and at the same time, it's not like she was given a whole lot of other options in life. Yeah. And to be fair, when we start looking at our own societal context... And we say, okay, there are a lot of other opportunities. Yes, I can go flip burgers for seven twenty-five an hour. I think maybe in Florida we can actually make eight. They're they're, pay, they're paying they are paying much better now. Well, yeah, that's because they have no workers, COVID, right. and all that fun stuff. Correct. But point being, you know, just a few years ago, it's it hard is, to make a livable wage flipping burgers. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you, you aren't making enough to, to survive right. doing that. So if you don't necessarily have your college education, you aren't married, you are out there kind of trying to, to make things ends meet, and you discover, hey, I can do this. It's frowned upon. But I'm going to make way more money. There, there are a significant number of college-age females that, for instance, put themselves through college at a strip club. Mm -hmm. Again. Uh, it's dangerous. Let's not forget that. Yeah, it may, may not be the, the safest place to be. Um, and, you know, do I wish my kids into that position? Nope. Um, but I also, you know, if sometimes you got to do what you got to do, I suppose. And I, I am more concerned from a, from a pastoral standpoint, I am less concerned about individual actions than I am about systems that cause people or put people in positions to make choices they likely wouldn't otherwise make. Right. And, and I know that... And that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I... I I, I understand, you know, I get morals, all right? Like, I, I don't need a moral lecture about sex. Um, and I don't know that people need a moral lecture about sex from, frankly, from the church. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. Um, I think, generally speaking, for me, what two consenting adults, what consenting adults do, that's their own business. I am more interested in the systems in place that put people in a position that they have to make decisions they wouldn't otherwise make. Right. Well, I, I mean, I think, I think we, can, we as society can deal on a separate level with people who choose to do things like that, right? Like, if, if we want to have that conversation, that's fine. It's, it's, for me, it's the people who are left vulnerable and are put in positions where they have to do things <laughs> that they wouldn't normally do. And whether that's sell drugs or themselves or take the clothes off for money. Like, what, what put them in a position that this is their chosen profession? Because there aren't a whole lot of people, to my knowledge, that are going to say, you know what I want to do when I grow up? Yeah, I want to do this. This I is what to, I want to do. I want to be a prostitute. And, and let's face it, the ending is very rarely like Pretty Woman. 
Like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> um, that uh, very, very rarely is um, that that kind of. Uh, in fact, I would say it almost never ends. Up I do. Like I do that. appreciate that. Even in that movie, they do show the not so glamorous side of it. Oh yeah. I mean, of course, it's a beautiful story, and blah 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 blah, and they fall in love. Yeah, yada yada yada. Yeah. But they they do at least in that movie show the more realistic side of that story as well where you know you get smacked around you get you know beat up and everything else and that's if you're lucky that's all that happens right um but Um, but again for me it's like what systems then and now and i'm obviously more concerned with now than then put people in positions to make decisions they wouldn't otherwise they wouldn't otherwise make yeah why are people selling drugs because it makes them money right it's profitable yeah that goes, you know, then you get into the whole conversation of legalization of, of drugs. Well, I mean, even marijuana, legalization of marijuana is a hotly debated topic as well. Um, and I, I, I don't know where I'm at on that one. I'll be perfectly honest. I've been, I've done a lot. We've had a lot of conversations, read a lot of things um, on both sides of that, um, of that legalization of marijuana debate, and, and I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. Um, I do know that it's absolutely wrong in places where marijuana is now legal and you have people that are incarcerated for marijuana while there's other folks profiting off of it. And I'm just going to throw this out there that they're not the same color people. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and let's, let's talk um, about the racial um, right. element to that um, and the, quote, war on drugs and, I'm, I'm and what saying. that was actually meant to target, um, which wasn't actually drugs. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, you know, and these things all go hand in hand um, in terms of... Uh, you know, oppressive systems and and racism and all that kind of stuff is all all intertwined, um, and you know, like you, I mean, I don't really want to get into the the the, the legalization of certain drugs um, debate. What I do know is that you can have legal drugs that are just as dangerous. Um, right. It's interesting. But to, if big to pharmaceutical see, companies say it's okay, then it's okay. Right. See, and there's kind of where I, I, I have some issues where I'm like, well, okay, so this drug is legal and addicts people and destroys lives. And they then, you know, but when it happened, you know, and just kind of put it, who are the, those people? Most of those people addicted to that particular drug. Um, it's white people. So that's, we, we look at it as a, as it's the pharmaceutical company's fault, blah, 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 um, that they get addicted as opposed to, well, if it's something like marijuana or whatever, then it's illegal and guess who's using all, you know, who's, who's addicted to that and it's not all the white people. But anyway, back to issues of um, how you how you wind up in Rahab's position. <laughs> yeah. um, pardon the pun. And <laughs> well, I believe in that case it might be positions. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> and some of the, you know, not just the ethics of what she does for a living, um, but the ethic of the fact that, you know, she, again, again, we're finding women who who are having to lie in order to further, literally further God's will. I right. mean, you know. And I, and I, one of the things that struck me um, is the dishonesty of women in Scripture. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm like, man, okay, so I think Mary's okay. <laughs> But otherwise, women in the Bible are all a bunch of liars. <laughs> well, and part no, of I, that, I get it. I mean, I mean, and and a lot because I think even um, one of uh, David's first wife—I never know how to pronounce her name. If it's Michelle or if it's Michelle, um, she lies to her dad about hiding David. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those those kinds of things. 
And I think the bigger question, though, once again, becomes... Maybe that's why, why, that's why the right, the religious right, the super evangelicals don't want women in leadership. I, they, look at, they look at women in Scripture like, man. So, again, though, <laughs> let's ask the same question we did about, I don't know, maybe prostitution, and say, so what position are women in right. that that becomes the better option? Yep. That they have to lie. And it's because they're in very dangerous, precarious positions in their society. Yeah. And when you're in a dangerous, precarious position, you don't have the luxury of always, quote, telling the truth. Um, yep. well, so, so, so modern day example, modern day example, you, and I mean, let's be honest, this is not, this is not a stretch these days. You can barely afford to live in your house and therefore can barely afford food. And you roll into Walmart and you swipe some food. That's illegal because you stole it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. I stole it. Lame is Jean Valjean. Right. I stole it. Um, yep, guilty, but I stole it because I can't feed my family. Now, I'm not saying that the act of stealing is okay. However, I also... The again, fact that they're hungry enough they have to, to steal Again, because, what options yeah. do I have at my disposal? And maybe they've exhausted all those options. Oh, well, there's a soup kitchen. Okay, great. There is a soup kitchen. Maybe they didn't know about it. Maybe they can't get to it. I was going to say maybe, transportation. You know, hello. I know that the number of people we serve at our soup kitchen is different than the number of people served in other soup kitchens. Now, I haven't been to some of the other soup kitchens, but I can tell you um, from some of our people, some of the people who come to our soup kitchens who are frequent flyers at other soup kitchens, our food, generally speaking, is pretty good. Um, I mean, we're not just schlepping out some... Slop. Some spaghetti yeah. and now we do so. We serve some weird stuff from time to time. Yeah, every once in a while, there's um, a questionable meal, but you know. This week, I'm just. This week is a weird meal coming up. It's weird. I don't know. I ain't eating it. Whatever. Um, but I mean, generally speaking, we serve good food. Now, why do we not have more people at our soup kitchen, or why do I have as many people at our soup kitchen somewhere else? Can't location, location, location. If I'm poor and I'm riding a bike, well, there's only so far I can ride a bike to get food. Especially in July heat. In July in Florida. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, for me personally, I'm not riding a bike very far at all, um, even without the heat. But I mean, there's also that, that part of it. You know, what resources are available? And, and our community, our, so it's really, we have this really weird dynamic in our community. In Martin County, there are more registered nonprofits than businesses. Hmm. There are more registered nonprofits in Martin County than businesses. Do you know how many shelters there are? None. Virtually none. Salvation Army has one, but I mean, there, there's virtually, virtually no, no shelters. So we have this weird mix of all of these people or all of these nonprofits in Martin County, and they're supported. So obviously, this is a very caring and giving community, or you don't have this many nonprofits here. But you also have a lot of not in my backyard. Well, yeah, that's great. I'll give them money, but I don't, I don't, want, I don't want those homeless people next to my house. I don't want this. You know, while we all live, and again, I'm one of them, and I said I would never be, um, who lives in a gated community. Call me a hypocrite. I guess to some degree I can take. I, well, I mean, I the mean, reality I mean, is when I mean, you're looking for places to live here yeah, that's yeah. In, in Martin County, yeah. you... you I, mean, I mean, the reality is I have to... I remember when I did my internship in Naples and like literally just about every community... And same, same as here, just about every community is a gated community. Yeah. And I'm like... I live up in Port St. Lucie and you, you have fewer... I, you have more options in terms of not living in a gated community because yeah. that's where... I, I was able to find a house that yeah. is not in a gated community. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I should say able to, but <laughs> it's, it's what wound up happening. Was yeah. I, I got a house that, that was not in a gated community, which pros and cons. Right. Um, now, I, now, I will say that we did not choose, a, I mean, 
we wanted to keep our kids in the same school. Right. And the number of options to do that, this was the probably the cheapest gated community <laughs> we could be in in order to get our kids in school and, and one, of yeah. the, one of the few affordable options for us. Right, and part of why I went to Port St. Lucie was because yep. it was, I got a little bit more bang for my buck up there. Um, but the issue kind of still stands uh, in terms of, you know, we're, we have always lived in times where we have always had um, people shoved to the margins, people shoved to, yep. um, to desperate measures. Um, and in terms of, you know, kind of going back to what I was talking about in of, of the, the ethics of, of what people who are in oppressed situations do, I talked about this a little bit with the midwives, and I think the same thing kind of applies with, with Rahab, where when, when you are part of a demographic that does not wield authority, that does not, um have those luxuries it you know th things get muddled um in terms of of what the quote right thing to do is yeah. and especially when you're dealing with a system that is unjust yep. and a system that is um doing something that that it shouldn't be doing kind of you know kind of thing and so you, you do have to start weighing the questions of, okay, you know, you, you have to have a um, situate, what I call situational ethic of when is this, this particular thing that I know probably isn't under normal circumstances a good thing to do, but in this circumstance, it's the option that is the lesser of your evils. Yeah, and and that I think becomes what the the situation again. You know, that was the situation with the midwives. Is situation with Rahab, where she's like, well, and uh, there was there was commentary that I was reading when I was um, kind of putting the materials together for Rahab, and and one of the commentaries kind of pointed out that it's entirely possible that what was going on in Jericho is you have the king of Jericho who maybe was not like the most just and great person in the world, and you have a whole faction within that society that, you know, you have more than one Rahab. <laughs> you, you've, you've got a, you know, you've got a whole class of people, the, the peasant class, so to speak, that maybe is living under a kind of oppression and saw Israel, you know, the, the tribes of Israel as they're coming, you know, as they're kind of flooding over the border, so to speak, as welcome liberators and we're looking at well i think life under them is going to be a heck of a lot better than life that you know we're currently living yeah. under and that part of the quote miracle of jericho was that there was a a peasant uprising within side jericho now we don't have any I wouldn't say we, we don't have any biblical or historical evidence that this absolutely was, was how it went down. Um, and, and someone was, you know, when I, when I suggested this kind of, was like, oh, but then that, that diminishes God's, you know, miraculous work here. And my counter to that is I don't think it's any less miraculous that God is working through these people to make something happen I mean, that's kind of what God does. Yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, we want, the, we want the spectacular, okay, the walls just fell all by themselves. We want, we want the beam of light. Yeah, we, that, we, we want it just, they just fell down all by themselves. But the reality is that if you, if you look at Scripture, there were people along the way that moved God's kingdom forward, the whole way through. Yeah. Like, God, God started creation, and that was a solo act. And then God's using people. Like, God's using people to have God's will, you know, be accomplished. And, and I think that was the part, you know, in, in prep this, you know, last week and in, in pulling the sermon, I kept coming back to this, you know, if we today 
if we today had to say, hey, who is going, who are we going to choose to further, let's just use the church. If we, were, if we as a manual Lutheran church were like, hey, who are we going to use to push the word forward? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that council's not going to vote that that's a prostitute. Just, I'm just, just a, I'm just going to guess. But God didn't seem to care. We would. I mean, we would care. We would judge. We would, you know, go ballistic. Right. But, in, but God chose to work through Rahab. Right. A prostitute. And then not only, work, it wasn't like, um, well, do this and don't do this anymore. Or, I mean, it was literally, yep. So let, let's, let's even take it the next step further of, okay, so, okay, God tolerated what she did. He didn't just tolerate it. She winds up in Jesus' genealogy. Um, <laughs> the prostitute becomes a mother who is one of her children is the line through which Jesus gets born. Yeah. And if you back it up a little, that, that even David gets born because, you know, there's, I, I mean. So then the question becomes, what the hell's our problem? Right. Like, why can we not get over things? Like, we, we, will, we will hang and stick on a label till, and we will beat it to death. And there is no grace and there is no inch of mercy. It's that's who you are or, that's, or worse, that's who you were. Like, we can't even, we have trouble getting, even getting over the fact that someone has changed. Right. Like, so, you know what? This is not obviously true. Um, I was a prostitute. Yep, I was a prostitute, and I'm not doing it anymore. I have seen the I have seen the light, and I'm going to seminary. Good luck. Good luck. Anybody finds out that first part of your life, forget about it. You, you're you're done. Yeah. But I, God didn't seem to care. And to be fair, I, I mean, I think we have some stories of people who have been in those positions. We do. Um, that, they're, they're that do go to seminary, and they do, I mean, we've, you know, uh, we've got several who have that, that questionable background yeah. um, that have gone to seminary and, and become pastors or whatever, but it, it's interesting because they become the people that can't, let's just say they can't serve in just any context. Yep. Once they get out of seminary. They have to be a mission start and create their own exactly. their own little niche. They, they can't don't go wind up going into established churches. Traditional congregations. Yeah. Yep. Um, because be basically ministry. those congregations are, take one look at them and go, oh no. <laughs> yep. Not doing that. <laughs> that, that, is, that is not uh, um, the road we want to go down. I, it, it's, what I, it's what I despise about the church. Yeah. I despise that judgment, that lack of grace. Um, and and I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't like it in general, but the fact that it just feeds this um, migration away from Christianity makes it even just more heartbreaking and, and angering that we just stick to it. Um, and and I, I, don't, I don't know that I... It's, it's, I really... Nice, nice stutter in here, Chad. Um, I, I think my, one of my struggles is church versus church. So lowercase church as in our church, the church that, the church that we serve, and church with a capital C, um, and and where we fall in that. So we are certainly not the, again, largely speaking, I don't see a ton of folks from our congregation, you know, popping off on social media, you know, throwing judgment all over the place. Now, are there some? 
Um, there are some. But largely speaking, not so bad. And, and I, I'm pretty comfortable um, inviting folks to worship because I, 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 I have not always been someone that has been quick to invite someone who's on the margins to worship because I am not going to put someone on the margins in worship who is going to be triggered or um, negatively affected by the way they're treated when they walk into a worship into a worship space, especially if one of their issues is the way they've been treated coming into a worship space. Um, I know, you know we have a mutual friend that you know, that's been a conversation. It's like, until, until I feel that you're comfortable, I'm not going to invite you. So I, again, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to overcome when those... I threw this stat out this week because I read it last week, and it, and it was... It's staggering that 21% of people outside the church, only 21% view the church positively, favorably. That's See, a huge... that does not shock me. It, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't shock me as in surprised, but it shocks me in, man, we have so much work to do, and... Then you, I, I'm going to be honest. I actually thought the 80% that consider themselves Christian were actually looking at the church positively. Because I know a lot of people who still identify themselves as Christian, but they want nothing to do with the church. Yeah. They're, I, they're, they're done with the church. What I don't know from that survey is who was surveyed. Right. Well, were you they, never do. Right. You, so you don't so know is that. it, so are they, do they identify as Christians or do they identify as church-going Christians? Right. Because if you're Christian and still going to church, eh, okay. If you're, if, if you're just, if you identify as Christian, but you're like, you know what, screw the church, I would get, right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, from, a, from, a, from an evangelism, from a church growth standpoint, um, that, we got issues. Like when you have essentially 80% of the population is like, nope, Nope. Well, and I think part of our, some of our huge problems that we're facing, um, I mean, a lot of them are not new problems. Um, let's just face it, for 1,700 years, uh, Christianity got co-opted by an empire. Yeah. And that really kind of, <laughs> let's just say, um, kind of corrupted and altered the, uh, what I would call the, the, the real mission of the church, yeah. where it became a, a, a dominant force of oppression, um, as opposed to the exact opposite of what it was, you know, the, the quote Jesus movement was supposed to be the exact opposite of that. It was supposed to be liberation from oppressive worldly, earthly forces. And then one of the strongest and um, arguably most forceful force in the known world at that point in time, the Roman Empire, decides, let's use Christianity to continue what we've been doing. And I, I, I look at just all of the warnings that were, were in Scripture of don't do that. <laughs> Don't get in, you know, since we're talking about prostitution, don't get in bed <laughs> um, with, with that kind of power. Just don't do it. And um, because, of course, I have to once again mention the entire book of Revelation is about that. Yep. You know, don't get in, you know, don't, don't cozy up to... to to the beastly systems and powers of the world. That was like a huge um, anti-Rome book of just don't do that. And what does Christianity do? It does exactly that. And now, and now we're, it's back. Yeah, well, I mean, it never went away. Let's just, yeah, but it's, I mean, we're all like steroids right now. Yeah, yeah, it never went away. Um, it, it, it's, it, it, it has continued to, to be a, a driving force. I mean, if you want to go back and look at even the founding of this country, um, you know, you have, the, you have the Puritans that come over and 
basically their whole thing is they want to set up a theocracy. They, they want to set up um, a, a place where they can live living by their own religious rules. And they get, it's called the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and they even get to the point where they're kicking, kicking Anglicans out, anybody else who does not align with their really strict form of Puritanism. Even the pilgrims who came before them, like they're living over in Plymouth, they're, they're not the same brand, so they're not welcome either. Um, and what winds up happening is the King of England revokes their charter and says you actually are in violation of your charter because you are trying to use religious law to run your government. And no, you don't get to do that. You don't get to kick the Anglicans out. You don't get to do these things. So he revokes their charter, makes a new charter that combines them with the group in Plymouth, and they see this as a violation of their religious freedom. Q... The Revolutionary War. I mean, there are a lot of other things that go into the Revolutionary War. Right. The ironic part here, and the scary part, if you want to look at American history and politics, is the First Amendment that gives us religious freedom and the Establishment Clause that says the federal government cannot impose a religion. There's a huge problem with that clause. When I said that, what did you pick up on? I don't know, but I, I'm not sure where you're going. The federal government cannot impose it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Guess what can? Right. State governments. Yeah. James Madison actually wanted to make the Bill of Rights apply to individual states, and they rejected that. So in theory, you can have individual states setting up little theocracies, and there's nothing you can do to stop it constitutionally unless yeah. it's already in the state constitution that they're going to abide by. You know, they have their own kind of establishment clause. Right. Um, there's nothing that stops states, individual states, from doing that. It's just the federal government can't do that. And when you start realizing that, it gets really, really frightening. Yeah, and it's... it's <laughs> It's this big mess right now of constitution versus faith or scripture. Right. And how those two are or aren't intertwined and how you interpret those two things together. Um, well, let's just say that argument has been going on since our inception because, yeah. um, like I said, the, the Massachusetts Bay Colony people were not real keen um, on the quote, as Thomas Jefferson called it, the wall of separation. Um, states actually had their own religion, like a state religion for individual states, up until the 1830s. I mean, that's how recent that is. And, and this, of course, is going to, you know, that, that sets the stage for... for the fight we had over the civil, you know, the civil war as well. Right. I mean, kind of the American Revolution. Um, all of the elements were at play for the civil war to happen, even then, because there was this battle between how much federal government gets to decide versus the states, individual colonies, um, what they get to decide about themselves. Yep. And religion plays very heavily into that because it was kind of the, the main thing that played into it. Um, inter and, and so, yeah, so, so those issues become really, really frightening when we start looking at the, you know, when we, th we think it's something brand new, but it is not. It has always been an undercurrent. It has always been here. Um, and had that those, those forces have, didn't just pop out of nowhere. They have always been here. Um, they have been working tirelessly <laughs> for, you know, a couple hundred years now um, and coming to the, to the forefront, and we're, we're seeing that, I think, just kind of explode now. Yeah. 
of where it's oh, been. Oh, it's an, exploded. Yeah, it's been an, an undercurrent, and now it's just a flat out. You know, before saying something like Christian nationalism was a bad thing to say, nobody really wanted to be associated with that. And now it's just being embraced. Yeah, it's a badge of honor for some. Yeah. It's like, no, sure, I'm, I'm this. I mean, I found out this week that it's all spiritual warfare. <laughs> oh, you're going to go there, are you? <laughs> it's all the same conversation, right? It I, is. I mean, it's all the same conversation about how, how you infuse faith, in, faith into society, when and where and how. And, and what role it plays. Yeah. And what... And I, I, think, I think the struggle, the, the disconnect... I, no, I don't want to say disconnect. I think, I think the struggle and the differences are really pretty interesting. Um, for some, if your idea of faith isn't cramming it into every institution... Um, to make decisions, then you are not doing the will of God. Um, yeah. Where on the flip side, I am not, and, this, and I said this you know, as part of my sermon, you can't twist arms to get people to, to Jesus. You can't shame people, beat people, drag people, berate people, shame people, I think I already said that, judge people to Jesus. You just can't. But that, I mean, there's a, there's a large segment of Christianity that that's their, that's their, that's their method. That's their, that's their weapon of war, so to speak, in this spiritual warfare thing. Um, that's their weapon of war. Um, and if you don't agree with that, if you don't agree with that, you're doing the devil's work. Yeah. Um, you're doing the devil's work if you don't agree that every institution that has to be the mode. Of, the mode. Well, and again, there's no room for what I call the situational ethic correct. either. Correct. There, there it and, comes... And a lot of it is around false narratives. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, absolutely. I found out from someone last night that in kindergarten they're teaching sex. Except they're not. Like, okay. So we're literally sitting at the dinner table last night and um, I said to my kids, um, hey. And they're like, no. <laughs> Stop it, Daddy. That's gross. Like, no. And they're like, because right, I was just, this, this lady said that y'all are learning this in kindergarten. Here's a news flash. They're not teaching sex ed in kindergarten, and they're not talking about sex in kindergarten. And oh, I mean, in elementary school, period. I mean, through third... Let me rephrase it. I can only vouch for through third grade. Personally, I can only vouch for through third grade. Now, maybe fourth grade's the big year, right? Maybe fourth grade's the year. Come on. It's, it's all this fear-mongering around faith and this spiritual warfare and the, these, these weird threats of, you know, the world's going to go to hell because of things that aren't even happening. We've, and we've seen this stuff before. I mean, we, we, we've seen this kind of fear-mongering in our world before. I'll, I'll be honest. And, and I'm, scapegoating. And I'm, I'm at the point where, uh, man, it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's absolutely insane and it's aggravating and it's destructive. Not just, here's the thing. They're, they're trying to, to build this, let me... I don't want to say they because then it sounds really vague. Um, my conversations have been with some moms of liberty folks. Um, and because I asked a question of a position for someone on school board. Um, and this, this whole notion of you either, you either agree with us or you are the Antichrist um, and you are the devil, which apparently I am, um, in case you didn't know. Um, yeah, so if you're coming to Emmanuel, you are coming to Satan's church, by the way. Because I asked a question about a stance not regarding any of these issues. Um, and that turned into, you know, you don't, you, you don't question, you don't question. 
I saw the question that you asked, and all you asked was, so what would your answers to the questions you wanted to be asked, what would those be? Right. That's all you asked. Right, and those questions were about teacher pay and teacher retention and things like that, which I think are kind of important in the school board. Yeah, you, you, um, you, you found those to be actually important questions that you actually were agreeing with the, the, candid, the particular candidate that, yeah, those are good questions to ask. What are your answers? Yep. yep. And you got attacked. <laughs> And, and that became, this long diet, this long back and forth became, um, yeah, that. So, uh, and, and, that, and, that's, and that's one of my, one of my gripes, that that's what the church has kind of become, church with a capital C, and I just don't, I can't go there. I am not going to berate someone to Christ. I am not going to condemn someone because of their beliefs. And I got to be honest, I don't agree with their platform. You know, the whole, we need to take books out of their hands and we want parental choice. But we want parental choice as long as you agree with that parental choice. Now, yeah. I, want, I want to say my kid's education. I want to be involved in my kid's education, but I want, I want to be involved. I don't want someone else to dictate what the possibilities are. Well, and I mean, there's kind of this thing called a social contract that we're supposed to have with one another. And we don't. And, and that... That has gone out the window. Um, that 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 social contract of caring for each other, um, you know, where it's like, look, on the one hand, yes, I want, and and I'm speaking from somebody who doesn't have kids, but um, <laughs> I would think if I had kids, yeah, I want some say in what's going on with my my child's education. Flip side of that is recognizing that I am not a teacher. Well, here, here's and, the other and piece. I am not an educator. And so how can we work together to figure out what the best thing is? You're the educator. You, yep. you, this is what you know. Yep. I'm a parent. I know my child. Yep. So how can we work together to figure out what the best educational um, program is going forward? Yep. And I don't feel I have to dictate what someone else's kid is getting. No. I don't, I don't have to dictate what access someone, what some other kid has. Right. Um, Just because maybe I don't want my kid learning this doesn't mean right. someone else do, doesn't want you, their kid. You don't, you don't want your kid to read a book that, in, that involves a same-sex couple. Okay. Well, maybe I do. Maybe I want my kid to have, broad, have a broad spectrum and a broad understanding of, of humanity and society that fosters respect I, and not judgment. I always appreciated my parents. For instance. And, and what they, they um, when it came to even things like, say, rated R movies, uh, my parents would frequently take me to the movies and we would go see rated R when I was not allowed. But if you were with a parent, you yep. got to do that. Yep. And Same. somebody was appalled that my parents would do that. My mother's response was hilarious. She just looked at him and she said, well, they said, she said, she either knows what it is and it can't hurt her or she doesn't know what it is and it can't hurt her. <laughs> right. And, I, you know, I was always kind of like, huh, <laughs> an interesting perspective for my mother to take. <laughs> I want the church to be reflective of Jesus. I mean, Ultimately, at the end of the day, if the church reflects Christ, we'll be okay. And again, church with a capital C. I, I believe um, that this church and this congregation reflects Christ. Now, do we do it every second of every day perfectly, every single member? No, because none of us do. None of us do. No. Um. Thank God for that little backspace button on your phone that lets you delete things before you post them. <laughs> thank, thank goodness for filters. That allow, that, again, we all have those moments, right? We all have, none of us are perfect. I don't expect, I'm not, I don't expect y'all to be. But we got to try. We've got to try to emulate Christ. And, well, and be open to, to genuine, actual, like, correction. Right, but I mean, I think that's emulating Christ, right? Yeah, yeah. Be, you be you open approach to the people correction. in situations with a spirit and a spirit of grace to seek understanding, and not right away throw judgment and assume that right. we know someone's position. Well, right? and, and and you know, 
going along the lines of, you know, well, we're not all, you know, none of us are perfect. You know, we all make mistakes and we all do things like that. And I think sometimes one of the big differences comes in it with, with that is, okay, um, I messed up. Do I either, do I double down on the mess up? Yep. Or do I allow someone to correct me? And, and that really is something we seem to have lost as well. well. And we've the, lost... The, the, yeah. the willingness to accept correction. Yep. It's, nope, this is what I think, therefore, boom. And, well, and we no have, room for, for any kind of uh, a debate or talk. It's just, I'm going to double down on it. And, and we should... We, we've lost the ability to understand that some people know more about some things than we do. Huh, yeah. Right? Like... So, for instance, and I use this analogy, um, just because you eat food doesn't make you a chef, <laughs> right? Now, that doesn't mean you can't cook, but I would never in a million years go into someone, go into a restaurant and go in the back of the kitchen and say, you're doing that wrong. Right. You went to years of culinary, for, for years of culinary training. That's not to say that... People that never get culinary training can't cook. Oh, no. my, my, cook. My grandmother was a phenomenal cook, except with vegetables. A phenomenal cook. Never went to culinary school. No. Okay. But I'm not, I'm not going to go into a restaurant with a chef that has years and years of training and education and tell them that the way they're cooking is wrong. Right. I mean, I, at home, For instance. sure, I, I cook and I think I'm not a bad cook. I could not go into a restaurant and like come up with nope. some new foods and, and new combinations and new things like that. I'm like, I'm, I don't have that background. Yep. Um, just like I can read a whole bunch of stuff on the internet about what I think might be wrong with me. Um. <laughs> WebMD was like the world's worst creation. <laughs> um, but, you know... Uh, I still kind of want to go to a doctor and get a doctor's opinion yeah. about, about such things. And not that, and again, and not that experts are always 100% infallible either. Because nope. they're just like us, they're human. And, and things are, you know, basically it's a, well, I know it's not, probably not this, and that's not this, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and mistakes get made, and, and yes. But if, at the if same nine time, out of, if nine out of ten then disagree that trident blah 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 right blah, exactly then you know what that's kind of compelling you know and that goes for a lot of things it's like well if the vast majority are in in agreement that this is this is what it is I tend to lean towards that as opposed to the one percent person who is yep. off saying no mm. this causes this yes. And it's one of those things until there's further, for me, until there's further study on that one person saying this. is like until there's further study on that and it becomes, and it's not to say that sometimes it can't happen, that the predominant thought does shift yeah. and change when more information comes available, that kind of stuff that can happen. Um, we do that, strangely enough, in theology. Yep. That, that theology evolves and our understanding changes. And um, I, I call that the natural progression of, of your faith growing. You know, the more you learn, the more you understand, the more, you know, things I thought were pretty solid foundationally in terms of what I thought 20 years ago are nowhere near where I am right now. Right. Same. And it's because you keep getting more information. You get different perspectives. We learn more. We, you know, we have this ability now to, to learn things historically. We have this ability to share information much more globally than we ever have been able to do before. Um, so we're able to get all these different perspectives and able to get all these this different information that comes in and form opinions and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. it, it, you know, it's, it's again... And unless you have, um, you know, if you're, unless you're spending your career, like, reading up on that stuff and hearing what the new things are and then that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say you're not an expert in it. Yeah. Um, Education matters. Yeah. 
And there's this, again, there's this push back against education. And wow. From, again. Yeah, that's, that, that's the, the keep them, yeah. keep them stupid and uninformed and you can control them. I and mean, I'm, I'm we, know, like, we know where that goes. I'm like, man, like, seriously. But. Um, if, you keep, if you keep them uneducated, they can go into sex work. Yeah. Um, well, and that becomes the reality, too, of when you start oppressing people, guess what? They have to start turning to other ways in which to make a living. There's a direct income between crime and poverty. Oh, absolutely. Yep. The economy, the economy... Um, takes a downturn. Takes a downturn. Crime takes an upturn. Yep. Not because people want to be criminals. I mean, here's the reality. There are some people that just might be bad people, right? They're just, there may be. But that's not the majority. Yeah. And the reality is when... People are put in situations. So again, how do we address the systems? How do we... Right. How do we address the systems that cause... These your, problems. Your Rahabs yep. um, and things like that. With the yeah. understanding that God doesn't, disc, God doesn't just discard people. Nope. God doesn't just throw people away. And aside from <clears throat> the whole God thing... because oh, well, God did this, you know, God flooded the earth, and blah, 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 blah. Okay. We're also Christians. And our foundation is in Christ. And we have to look at how he behaved and what his ministry was about. Yep. Um, if you're going to... If, you if you're going to say you have faith in Jesus, you have to also have faith in what he was doing. Yep. You can't, you can't be a Christian and discount the cross. Well, yeah, you can't discount the cross, and you can't discount um, his his whole ministry, yep. which a lot of people seem to want to do. Yep. It's like, well, you just need to believe in Jesus. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Right. You got to know what Jesus was about, what he was doing, what his ministry, what got him killed. <laughs> um, you know, yes, I, I, you know, there's, there's, there's resurrection and, and, and new life and all of that kind of stuff. That's, the, that's God's answer to our no, is Jesus' ministry got him killed because we didn't like the ministry. And Jesus' and, and God's res answer to our resounding no to that ministry is, guess what? My answer is resurrection and new life. Yep. And I'm going to transform y'all. Yep. So on that note, we come to um, our time. <laughs> on, on that note, I'm going to transform y'all. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> because God doesn't take no for an answer. I got a joke, but it's not good, so we'll just keep moving. <laughs> anyway all right so we will um we will talk to you next week i i am uh you're preaching on deborah yep yep little debbie <laughs> she be mighty and fierce in yep. jail i don't know if you're going to go into that that part of it or not and beats and me it's only thursday <laughs> um but yeah so we look forward to uh Deborah, the, the prophetess, the judge, um, leader of Israel that we will talk about next week. So see you then. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.